Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April King, and I am the Associate Pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We would also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. You look good. I forget, did we announce last week who won the Holy Board Tournament? Did that get announced? Does anyone remember? Was that announced? I don't think it was. Yeah. Well, it's, we don't need to mention who it was. We wouldn't want those people to get kind of big heads or anything. So, <clears throat> whoever that was. So, my message this morning uh, is in, in a way a bit of a wrap-up of the Colossians series, but we are done with Colossians, don't worry. There's not another chapter that we missed. Starting October 15th, I'm going to start a series called Why? And I want to attempt to answer the question and wrestle through the question, why does, or maybe why should, KZMC do what it does? In other words, why are we here? However, as I was bouncing this idea off of a close friend, they said, before you know why, you need to make sure you know who you are. And as soon as they said that, I knew that's, that is a good word. So we're going to start today and ask the question, or try to answer the question, who are we? And we're going to be looking at Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 10. And to me, the exciting part is so much of what I want to talk about today is actually we've already looked at it in the book of Colossians. So in a way, it's kind of a review of what does Colossians teach us about who we are. So I'm going to be doing lots of references back to Colossians. And I have a lot of scriptures that I'm going to read this morning. So don't try and keep up. Stay in uh, Zechariah. And I would strongly encourage that you take notes this morning. If you're a note taker, and if you're not a note taker and that drives you crazy, I am happy to print off my notes or to email them to you. I'm I'm happy to share that because I'm going to be referencing a lot of scripture this morning. But I I wrestled with doing that, but I thought, no, there's sometimes there's sometimes we need to just get in the word. We need to hear the word. We need to read lots of scripture. And so I'll, I'll I'll say a bit of a preamble. If you're looking for a a one statement to tickle your ears this morning, this is not one of those sermons. We're going to cover a lot of ground. So if you want to get something out of this sermon, you're going to need to do some work this week. You're going to need to reread this Zechariah chapter, and I would strongly encourage you to reread the book of Colossians and re-digest it, because there's going to be a lot said this morning. So if you're looking for a, a buzz This is not a YouTube short this morning. This is not a TikTok video, okay? This is going to be, there's going to be some meat and potatoes to digest here. So we're going to ask the question, who are we? It's a huge question, right? Who are we? And we're all many things. 
But many times in life, we go off of how we feel. We let our feelings tell us who we are. For example, being transparent, I feel very inadequate this morning to share on this topic. Truth be told, there's many times I feel inadequate to be a pastor. I feel I'm not wise enough, I don't have enough experience, I don't have enough training, I'm too easily stressed out or distracted. I feel inadequate. But that's how I feel. What's the truth? What is the truth about who I am? Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. Ephesians 2, verse 10, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what's the truth? How I feel or what God says about me? How do I connect to truth? Is it my feelings that connect me to truth? Or is it something else? You ever heard of the train analogy? When it comes to facts and truth? So we have a fact about us in God's word. It's, imagine it's like a, a steam engine train going down the tracks. I bring up steam engines a lot for some reason. They're just cool. So there's a train of truth going down the track. How do I hang on to this truth to carry me through life, to carry me through trials and struggles? Is it my feelings? Well, I feel that's true. The problem is our feelings can change, right? Our feelings can be all over the place. So what connects me to this truth going down the track? Something called faith. And they say the feelings are the caboose. Sometimes it comes along, sometimes it gets left behind. But I need to use faith to hang on to the truth of who I am. My feelings don't validate truth, and my feelings can change. So, to ground us in who we are, I want to cover five points about who we are in Christ, using this chapter from Zechariah as kind of an outline, as kind of a... Uh, Again, yeah, an outline of who we are in Christ. So I encourage you to take notes. And again, if you're not a note taker and you hate doing that, grab me after the service, send me an email, call me. I'm happy to share my notes and you can have all the scripture references laid out for you. So this is a fascinating chapter. This is right after Israel has returned from being in exile in Babylon for 70 years. Uh, Zechariah, some call this book a mini Isaiah. It's kind of like a book of Isaiah, but it's smaller, it's shorter. But it covers a lot of the same material, prophetic visions, uh, prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. And this, I was always confused when I read it. This is not the Joshua we're thinking of. This is not the Joshua who was with Moses. This is a different Joshua, all right? This is a, this is a, a Joshua, same name. He was the high priest of Israel. But it's not the same Joshua that we're, we're probably all thinking of. And in verse 8, where Peter read, it makes it very clear that this is a prophetic, a symbolic description of something that is to come. In verse 8, it says, You and your associates, associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. 
So this is predicting what is to come. And this chapter in Zechariah gives us a description of what Christ would do and who we would become in Christ. Now, as in any prophecy, there's a lot going on here. If you dig into uh, commentaries and writings on this, different people on different parts have very different takes. But I don't want to dig into a lot of those details. I want us to read this in a way devotionally, letting the Scripture speak for itself and letting the Holy Spirit speak to us as we read it. So would you bow before we jump in? And let's just ask God to speak to us. Lord, as we dig into your word, Lord, these important truths about who we are, God, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would help us to see. God, give me wisdom and clarity as I speak. Lord, I, in myself this morning, I do feel inadequate, Lord. I am fearful that I am not able to portray these truths about who we are. Jesus, I need your help. We need your help this morning to hear these truths, Lord, because we need to know these things. We can't go through life here and there. We need these truths to anchor us. We need to hold on to your word. And there's times, Lord, where it seems foggy, where life can distract us, where our minds don't connect the dots, Lord, but we need you this morning. I, I pray for my dear friends here that regardless of what I say and how I say it, that they would hear the truth in these words of who we are because of you. We need to know these things, God. I need, I need to know these things. So help us, we pray. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to read most of this chapter again slowly, and I'm going to pause, and we'll just talk as we go through it. So Zechariah 3, verse 1 says this, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Let's just pause here for a moment. Is it any wonder that we can feel discouragement and beat down? Who's felt discouraged or beat down in the last month? Anybody? Shouldn't surprise us. There is an enemy standing, the accuser of the brethren, who spends his time accusing us, discouraging us. He wants us to be beat down. He wants us to give up, to cower in fear. Shouldn't surprise us. So when you feel that, know that there is someone on your side who is ready to fight with you. You're not alone. But we do have an enemy. We do need to be aware of that. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. And if you're taking notes this morning, that's the first thing I want you to write down. We have been chosen. We have been chosen. Now there's some who would debate about predestination and all these things, and some say that's not real. I'm just taking what I read in the scripture this morning as truth. There is a, there, at least there's a part where God has chosen you. 
You belong to Christ. You are his. I'll read Ephesians 2, verse 10 again. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Colossians 2, 13 says this. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. God reached out and chose you. You are special to him. You are dear to him. You have been chosen. Our feelings can tell us this. I'm not special. I'm not loved. I'm not necessary. I'm a third wheel. I'm in the way. Our feelings can tell us that. But what's the truth? We have been chosen. Every one of you, Every one of you who's chosen to follow Christ, he first chose you. He sought you out. You belong to him. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says this, He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, you were chosen. So first point, we have been chosen. Let's keep reading. Keep reading in verse in verse 2 of Zechariah 3. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And I think what we're meant to see here is the fires of judgment. You know, a, a branch that has been pruned off and thrown into the fire because it was worthless. Deserving of God's wrath. And that's who we all were. We were all deserving of God's wrath to be thrown in the fire, to be cast aside, because we could not measure up. We were doomed for God's judgment. But we have been rescued. So that's the second point I want you to write down. Number one, we've been chosen. Number two, we have been rescued. We were cut off and cast into the fire, but God has rescued us. He has saved us. He has saved you. Colossians 1.13 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Just like Joshua, you stood condemned. The interesting thing is, is before Christ, Satan's accusations would have stuck. You were worthless. You were broken. You were sinful. His accusations would have been true. But Christ rescued you. He saved you from that judgment. Colossians 1 verse 21 and 22 says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. We were once alienated from God, hopelessly lost, broken, deserving of wrath, deserving of God's judgment. But Christ rescued us. He paid the price. You have been snatched from the fire. Our feelings can tell us these kinds of things. We can feel guilty. 
we can feel worthless. We can feel cast aside, forgotten, dirty, rotten, unworthy. But the truth, you have been snatched out of the fire. You have been saved. You have not been cast aside. Christ has rescued you. So number one, we have been chosen. Number two, we've been rescued. Number three, we have been cleansed and forgiven. Let's keep reading in Zechariah 3, starting in verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Our sins were once like scarlet. Now they are white, now we are white as snow. These filthy clothes representing the, the filth of our sin, that we were filled with sin. Again, the devil's accusations would have been legitimate. We were filthy, but we've been given clean new clothes. Have you ever showed up for an event that you thought was informal? And you get there and everyone's dressed to the nines. And you know, you're doing this to your shoes. Oh, man. You're wiping off the dirt. and I, I don't know about you. That's happened to me. That's a horrible feeling. You know, take that to the thousandth level. If we were to show up in heaven without Christ, boy, you'd be showing up at an event filthy. You would not be welcome. But we've been cleansed. We've been washed. Our sin has been washed. We've been forgiven, purified. You know, I don't think we understand the severity of sin. I think we take sin far too lightly. And I think part of that is because we cannot fathom the horror of the cross. The absolute horror that Christ had to endure. We have painted it in pretty pictures and cartoonified it. It would have been an absolute horror to see. I don't want to draw in Hollywood, but years ago they made that movie, The Passion of the Christ. And whether it's accurate or not, who knows. But it paints a picture of the crucifixion that I think is probably more realistic than anything we've seen to this day. It was a horrible scene. The stuff of nightmares. The way he was whipped and beaten and dragged and nailed to the cross. But dear friends, that's the cost of sin. That's the punishment that we should have carried. He carried that for us. Why else would Jesus, Almighty God, sit in the garden and say, Lord, if there's any way that we can do this differently, but not my will, but yours be done. He knew 
how horrible it would be. But he went and did it anyway because he knew it would mean our forgiveness and our cleansing. Colossians 1.14 says this, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.22 says this, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Colossians 2.14 says this, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Again, our feelings can deceive us here. We can feel, we can feel so guilty. We can feel ashamed. We can feel unworthy. We can feel like, man, I've got no reason to be let into heaven. Why on earth would he want me? The fact is that you have been forgiven. You get into heaven because he paid the price. He doesn't look at you and see what you've done. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. So number one, we've been chosen. Do you notice how these are kind of ramping up? Number one, we've been chosen. Number two, we've been rescued. Number three, we've been cleansed and forgiven. And number four, we have been brought to fullness. Let's keep reading. Start reading again in verse 5. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. To understand this turban, you need to read in Exodus chapter 28, verse 36 and 37. The turban was a symbol of the priesthood, and it actually had a, a stone with an inscription attached to the turban. Do you know what that inscription said? Holy to the Lord. So there's this idea of the priesthood of all believers. This idea that God sees you as holy, complete, You've been brought to fullness. You are separated from the world. You are dedicated for God. We have been brought to fullness. Colossians 1.27 says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 2 verses 3 and 4 says this, The mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. This Jesus, who has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all the fullness of the deity, lives in you. You got a brand new engine. You know, you, had a, you once were a Volkswagen Beetle and they dropped a Corvette LS1 crate engine in there. You've been brought to fullness. You have incredible capacity to serve God 
to hear his voice. You have been made new. So you see how it's ramping up? We've been chosen. We've been rescued. We've been cleansed and forgiven. And we have been brought to fullness. Our feelings, like my feelings, we can feel inadequate. Remember as a kid, I used to say something like this. I really don't care. I just want to get into heaven. I hope I, I, hope I just make it. I hope I make it. You're not just good enough to get into heaven. You've been given so much more in Christ. We can feel like an inadequate, pathetic loser, but the fact is, you are complete. And I think some of us need to hear that again and again. Because there's this little voice inside that we always feel like, man, I'm just not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. By yourself, you're not. But in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. I was going to say some thoughts about verses 6 to 9, but for the sake of time, I'm going to skip that and go right to the last point. So we've been chosen, we've been rescued, we are cleansed and forgiven, we have been brought to fullness. And the last one is that we are destined for glory. We are destined for glory. Let's read verse 10 in Zechariah chapter 3, which sounds at first like a very innocuous verse, but it's saying a lot more than we think it is. It says this, In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. And we need to remember where the Israelites just were. They were in exile. And now there's this picture of freedom. They're going to have fields again. They're going to be able to sit with their neighbor. They're not going to be prisoners anymore. It's this picture of deliverance, of peace, of freedom, which to me points to eternity. Do we realize, I mean, do we know that this life is not everything there is? This is not everything. We have a home in eternity. Your life path ends in eternity with the Lord. And as much as this world will steal our attention and grab a hold of us, this is not it. We have to be so careful with this one. Colossians 1.5 says this, the hope stored up for you in heaven. Colossians 1.12 says, We are qualified to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Colossians 3 verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3 verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our feelings tell us over and over that this, is, this world that we see, taste, and touch is the most important. 
and we get caught up in it. At least I do. Maybe all of you have not been caught up by the world. Does anyone, does anyone resonate with that? Again, I feel like God's using our search for a home to teach, teach me something or teach us. You know, I've been praying, God, please, please provide a house. And God's been saying two things. He said, well, I did provide. You're living in a beautiful home. Your family is safe. You're part of a great church. Your kids are enjoying school again. I, I, I did provide. Okay, Lord, I'll take that. Sorry. But God's also been saying, Dave, this isn't your home. Don't look for a home here. Don't settle here. I don't mean don't settle in Zurich, but don't settle on this earth. Don't look for comfort here. This is not where you finish out, Dave. Your home is with me in eternity. Don't get sucked in by the comforts of this life. And you see how these things are ramping up, right? We've been rescued, right? We've been chosen. We've been cleansed. We've been brought to fullness. And the trajectory just keeps going. You're bound for heaven. That's who you are in Christ. You have an assignment this week. Like I said, this is the kind of sermon, if you just come here, listen to it, go home and get your KFC on the way, and never think about this again. This will do nothing for you. This is the kind of sermon you need to take this home. I need to take this home and digest these thoughts and think about them and pray over them and think about them. So I encourage you, take the book of Colossians. Print it out if you'd like. Print out the book of Colossians and start underlining everywhere it tells you who you are in Christ. Memorize some of those verses. Stick them on your fridge. We need to know these things. We need to latch on to these things with faith. Take this chapter in Zechariah and read it again and, and imagine it and think about it. You need to hang on to these things. Learn them, live them, love them. If you love the sound of my voice, you could listen to the sermon again. Or you could ask me, Pastor Dave, just, just send me the notes. <laughs> Let's not let our feelings be that which grabs on to truth. This is the truth in God's word to you. With faith, hang on, regardless of how you feel. This is who you are in Christ. You are chosen, you've been rescued, You've been cleansed and forgiven. You have been brought to fullness. And you are destined for glory. Which begs the question then, why are we here? But that's a story for another day. 
and we'll tackle that in the coming weeks. So God bless you. As we sing, let's focus on Christ and what he's done for us. God bless. Have a great week.